Again, that's Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 24. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned in Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is the word of God. Amen. So a few years ago, I ran into an old friend of mine at Popeye's, a George Roper, or as he used to be called in the Northward Prison, Pastor Roper. He was sentenced to life in prison, and while in prison, he trusted Jesus, experienced life transformation. He became a student and real theologian of the Bible, and he preached it. Every time I got to go on Sunday nights, the first two years I lived in Cayman, I got to hear George speak, and you could tell this is a man who had a changed life. And when I ran into him, he had just received, I mean, weeks earlier, a pardon for a life sentence. And so I asked him, you know, with a smile, so brother, how's life on the outside? And he smiled, he said, man, honestly, man, life is great, but getting used to people on the outside takes some time. He said, you know, prisoners, a lot of times prisoners live with more freedom than people who are supposedly free. And I was about, you know, I kind of smiled. And he grabbed my forearm and said, you know what's really sad, Pastor? The most unfree people I encounter are usually in churches. It's like they return to their prison cells. So in this passage we just read, Paul is issuing a warning. It is an alarm bell. It's a warning to the church he's preaching to. And so it is a warning to us to not walk back to our prison cells. He says, you must no longer walk, he says in verse 17, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. What's the significance of Paul saying this? It would be helpful for us to know who are the Gentiles. Gentiles are non-Jews, but in this context, Paul really wants to emphasize that Gentiles are everyone who's not God's people. Everyone not God's people. Those who don't belong to God. Well, then, like us, in this church to which Paul was writing, like us, nearly everyone there was a Gentile. They were formerly, formerly not God's people. So when Paul says, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, he's also warning, you must no longer walk as you used to walk. As, as we see in verse 21, Paul assumes he's talking to Christians. Why then? Why would he worry about this? Why would Christians, why would followers of Jesus walk backwards to old habits, old comforts, old ways of thinking that only produce death in their lives? Why would they go back to that? So to answer that, let me tell you the parable of the prison cell. This is something uh, not original to me. I first heard it by a writer I really like named Matt Hurd. And here's the parable. You, me, every person was born into a prison cell called death. 
And for the most part, I don't realize I'm in prison because everyone around me and every cell around me is in the same predicament. And we ingeniously decorate ourselves to our preferred tastes, achievements, career highlights, job titles, bank account balances, fun, vacations, friendships, charities, hobbies, even religion. And yet, as much as I decorate myself, I still recognize I'm alone here. There's a hollowness to living there. There's an emptiness. There has to be something more to this-ness that I sense even as much as I decorate and make myself beautiful. I recognize to the surface realities like aimlessness, restlessness, guilt, shame, frustration, despair arise. And we think we can distract ourselves from this reality if I just add more decorations to myself. I can just cover up more of the hollowness that's within me. I'll feel better. It works for a short while, and then the cycle begins again. We recognize the hollowness to it. We get frustrated with that life. We sense that there's a lack of truth to it. And so we try again to decorate ourselves with something more. It feels more like, over time, existing and surviving more than it is like living. But here's the problem. I can't get out. I can't, on my own, escape The door must be unlocked from the outside. Uh, During World War II, a pastor and theologian, a really like named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was in prison in a Nazi concentration camp. While in that prison cell, he wrote a friend of his during Christmas time, and he said, a prison cell like this is a good analogy for Advent. One waits, one hopes, one does this or that, ultimately negligible things, but the door is locked and can only be opened from the outside. In other words, I, as much as I try, I can't free myself. I can't liberate myself. I can't give myself what I'm longing and looking for. Now, when I was a young man, my cell was decorated by two related desires. There was a desire to be accepted and a desire to laugh, to enjoy life. Those are the two things I lived for. And then one day I woke up to this awful reality. It was amazing that I woke up to it, and I'm grateful to God in the long run. I woke up to it, but it was awful when I experienced it. And that was that my friends who loved to laugh and so often made me laugh and we enjoyed this together, I realized we were all using each other. There were signs of it, and some of us just got less funny, and simultaneously all of us grew less accepting of each other. It's a terrible feeling when you wake up to this kind of reality. Because each of us is born building our self-worth, our identity around something or someone other than God. For me, it was laughter and acceptance. For you, it may be being in control. It might be success. It might be even religion. Or maybe it's just beauty like it was for C.S. Lewis. And you build your life around these things. And to feel that pit in your stomach when you first sense, sense your life's pursuit, your identity that you've built your life around is actually rings hollow. And then you realize it's even a sham. It is such an empty feeling. Where do you turn next? Where do you you go from there? The door is locked, and I can't open it. It can be only open from the outside. And then for some of us, for some of us, we encounter the good news about Jesus, and you begin to trust that he paid the price to free you from that prison cell of death to free you from it forever. He unlocks the door from the outside and sets you free. If if you've never experienced this, the only description I can muster 
is what it must be like to be in prison and then walk outside and breathe the free air for the first time. I remember as a kid, I, I visited this, this prison called Alcatraz. It's a famous prison near San Francisco, California, um, much, much like uh, Robbins Island prison. Been for those of you who are South Africans, I think. And, and you have a tour of this prison, and it is an awful place. When you get inside, I was so excited. Oh, I got to go into a prison cell. I get to see places where murderers are locked up. This would be so cool. I'm a little boy, right? I'm thinking this is awesome. I go inside, and you sit in a prison cell, and it is a chilling feeling. And they lock it. And you just had this momentary feeling, like, oh, my gosh. Or, like, this is all part of a show, right? And it is. It's all a tour, thankfully. But then I remember being thankful, even as a kid, for just getting outside again. For just breathing that free air. Jesus liberates us, guys, from, from seeking satisfaction from old habits. He frees us from finding identity, from all those familiar comforts we grew up with or adopted along the way. Those things produce death, and he gives us fresh air. You feel it with me. Even now, guys, we, we breathe in forever forgiveness. We breathe in life forever, guilty no more, freedom from bondage. Breathe it in. Paul says elsewhere that God has no ulterior motives for this. He says it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It's for, just because he wants to free us from what produced death in us, what rang hollow for us, what we knew there wasn't any ultimate truth to how we were living. It's for freedom. Breathe it in, friends, if you never have. Jesus gives us freedom. However, that includes the freedom to go back to our unlocked cell. And not only sometimes do we go back to our unlocked cell, we often stay there for a while. We're still, we're still loved by God. We're still his kids. But we choose to think, you know what? That old habit, that old comfort of mine, to be accepted, to live for that again, to live for, for laughter, to live for success, to live for more money in my account, to live for that pleasurable lifestyle. That is where it's at, and I'm going to go back to it. So I want to close our time by talking about these two life realities, going back to that old prison cell and staying there for a while. Because Paul ultimately offers solutions, both to the temptation to walk back and to helping us escape once we sit there for a while. So let's talk about this for a bit. We walk back to our old cell, that old life. Paul begins his warning here again in Ephesians by saying, no longer walk. Notice that walk as the Gentiles do. There's that old word again. That word again, Paul uses it seven times, always at key moments in this letter to the Ephesians. Walk, peripateo. He's reminding us yet again of that image we first encountered in Ephesians 2, where he teaches us that all of us begin life walking in sin and death and slavery and in prison. All of us begin life that way, but... When God's grace comes to our life because he loves us so much, he turns us around and gives us Jesus to walk with forever. And it's so wonderful. Yet at some point, every Christian has had that experience of just of looking back over their shoulder and wondering about that old life. And we walk back there. You may be a new Christian think I'm crazy. Why would anyone walk back to the prison cell? But it's actually an old and well-documented tradition for God's people, sadly. 
as far as I can tell, it first began with God's first and greatest jailbreak of all in the Old Testament. God's people were in bondage for 400 years. 400 years imprisoned. And then God liberates. Through a, a series of miracles, God liberates them. And he provides everything they need. They get to go with their families. They get food. They even get to take away treasures from the Egyptian people. And yet the very next time they face adversity, they want to go back to Egypt. Moses, just give us what we used to have. God, just give us what we used to have. Don't you remember what you used to have? You were being whipped. You were making bricks without straw. God liberates them again. He parts a sea so they can walk right through it. And just a couple chapters later, they're encountering even, even smaller adversity. And they say, once again, we want to go back to our jail cells. We want it the way it was. Why? What is it about us that we do this? Why do we still do this today? At the first vulnerable moment, we say, I remember how comforting it felt for people to just accept me and like me and put on a show. I remember how comforting it felt to, to, be, uh, to live for my morality, to live for good works so I can feel better than everyone else. I remember how it felt to control people using my emotions. It just felt so good and secure and I was in control. And Paul insists the problem is our thinking. The reason for all this is our thinking. Look what he says here, that during our old lives, we walked in the futility, he says, of their minds. Notice the pattern here. They, who used to be us, are darkened in their understanding. Alienated from the life of God due to the ignorance that is in them. You see see the, the thinking words here, right? Paul responds in verse 20, but that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Here's that pattern emerging. The problem is our thinking. It was our thinking, and it might become a wrong way of thinking again. See, let's unpack this a little bit. Let's talk about what it means to be all these things, to have walked through all of these things, what it used to be having the futility in our minds. Verse 17, right? That means vain, meaningless, without aim. Now, you probably used to and probably still are a very intelligent person. Paul's not talking about that. He's talking about how you would plan, you would scheme, you would take calculated steps to what you were confident would make you content in life. And yet, how did it work out for you? That was all futile, futile, right? We were all once darkened in our understanding, it says in verse 18. This word understanding means how we interpret life. Paul isn't restricting dark thoughts to, to things like, like murder and exploitation and perversion. Oh, I'm not those things we might think. But he, he's, he's saying it to an unredemptive outlook of life. As a Christian, you have Romans 8.28 for this life and the hope of the resurrection for the next. All of us have that. We look forward to knowing all things work out together for good. And even for those of us who, who deal with un, unthinkable suffering in life, we still have the hope of knowing it's all going to be paradise one day. This is all going to be different. And sometimes we forget that we were without that hope. We forget about the jail cell. We did not have hope then. He also says we were alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and used to be us, verse 18. 
Paul isn't saying ignorance, like the ignorance of the aboriginal tribe in Australia who have never heard about Jesus, and so they didn't have God. Not that kind of ignorance. He's, he's referring to willful, willful ignorance. You know what I mean by that? Someone who'd rather not know the truth because of the hardness of their heart, because of the way they're living. Christians sometimes even turn back down that road. They turn from God. Instead of turning back right away, they, they push God away. They pretend he doesn't exist because they want to walk in a certain direction no matter what. You know this feeling, right? You've been down that road. Our problem is in our thinking. We forget about the dead ends. We forget about the hopelessness and emptiness. We forget that the end result is pushing God away, the God who saved us. All of those old comforts and old habits, slavery, prison, Egypt. Don't you remember? Yet every Christian has walked that walk back to his prison cell. And, and usually when we walk that walk, we usually immediately we feel the pangs of death, the, the pangs of guilt. Right? Or, or we, we soon sense the conviction of the Holy Spirit to walk the other way. Or we have a, a spouse or good friend in our lives who says, hey, what's up? What's going on? And so we turn back. But sometimes we don't. Sometimes we walk back to our old ways and we just sit there in them. Having sinned, we sometimes stay for a while once we get there. Why is that? The cell door remains unlocked. We can leave at any time. Why do we sit in our Sin. One answer, shame. Usually it's shame. Shame. It's the result of man's first rebellion. Do you remember this? Genesis 2.25, the man and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. There's nothing to be ashamed of. There was only freedom. And then moments later, they get to work making loincloths and hiding in the bushes from God. Because they sinned. From the beginning, our impulse is to hide away because of shame. It's like it's, it's, like it's in our DNA. Our first impulse is to hide in the bushes, just like Adam and Eve. So we return like, like a pig to its vomit, like a dog to its filth, like a free man to his prison. And we stay because we wonder, well, maybe... Maybe I was never free in the first place. Maybe I was just never really a Christian. Some of us stay because we believe I've, I've messed up way too many times in the same way. I'm stuck. The prison cell is locked for good. There's no way God's going to unlock it again. Right? Or, or we even strategize that having, man, having been exposed, I might as well just stay here where I belong in my prison cell. Many of us do. Because prison is filled with people among whom we can blend in. We isolate ourselves from people who are healthy. In Jesus, God, friends, we, we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses, though. He knows that we will be tempted. And not only tempted, we will fail. We will run back to old comforts, old habits that seem so familiar and so good because we will forget. And so he has good news for those of us who find ourselves in that temptation or the shame of having given in to him. God, through Paul, gives us a way forward, and I'm going to summarize it like this. Cling to Jesus. 
This is the strategy Paul gives us. Cling to Jesus and everything he says. Let me show you where I find that summary in our text. Paul uses a number of phrases, unusual phrases here, starting in verse 20. He says, that is not the way you learned Christ. That is not the way you learned Christ. Think about that phrase. You learned Christ. It's an unusual phrase. We would think Paul would say, that is not what you learned about Christ. Right? Because when you learn stuff, you usually learn about some content, about some way of living, about some example to follow. But Paul doesn't say that. He says, that's not the way you learned Christ. In Christianity, Paul says, you learn a person. You learn a person. I, I think Paul's trying to emphasize that we have something unique among all world religions. You get to have a relationship with God. You learn a person. You sit at the rabbi's feet and can cling to him, him who is life, him who is freedom. He was on to say, you have heard him in verse 21. Now our translation says, you have heard about him. And without getting into too much detail, that's just incorrect. <laughs> there is no about in the original Greek. You have heard him. And the reason that's so unusual is here are a bunch of people living much later than the time Jesus died and rose from the dead. No one at Ephesus had ever seen Jesus in the flesh. No one had heard his voice audibly. And yet Paul says, you heard Jesus. Because God has torn the veil. He's released us out of prison. And we can know God directly forever. So when we read the word of God that the apostles wrote down, it's as if we're hearing Jesus. And if you know Christ, you know that experience of reading the Bible, and it's like you're hearing Jesus or hearing the preached word, and it's hitting your heart in a way that God is speaking to me. That is what we have in Jesus Christ. You don't learn about Jesus. You get to learn Jesus. You don't get to just hear about Jesus. You can hear him directly. It's wonderful. And as we cling to Jesus, we find true freedom. Possessions no longer possess us. Old masters no longer master us. And yet sometimes we walk away. We walk to that old prison cell. And having sat in our filth, we often can't get up. We can't move. So we keep drinking. We keep overworking. We return to that strategy using our anger to control people. We take pride in our charity or our church attendance and all the good things we do in life. We give ourselves over to old habits and old comforts because we realize, well, I don't think God will ever forgive me again. Isn't it just easier to stay here? Friends, Satan, he wants to use our shame to drive us into hiding, whereas God wants to use our shame to drive us to him for clothing. Drive us to him to be clothed again. We feel embarrassed. We feel vulnerable. We feel exposed. And so Paul says in verse 24, put on the new self. It's a clothing analogy. Put it, put it on. Put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Well, how do we do that? Does that mean, well, I just got to be a better person? Put on better behavior right away. Act more righteous. Do more right things. Do more church stuff. Read the Bible more. Absolutely not. That will just lead you to another prison cell if that's your first response to shame and to guilt. This week, we're reading the Bible in our community group. And each of us were asking a series of questions about what we were reading. Asking questions of the text. 
And one dear brother asked about a term he saw in the Bible, a term that's often repeated by Paul. It's the term saints. And he was addressing this church as saints. And his question was simple. He just said, I'm, conf- I'm confused. Like, sort of what's up with that? <laughs> Why is rep- Paul referring to saints? Don't those come later? And aren't those certain kinds of people? Friends, saint means, to be a saint means to be a set-apart one. Literally, a set-apart one or a holy one. It refers to every person who simply trusts Jesus. So when you trust Jesus, you're given Jesus' record of righteousness, his life of holiness, his scorecard, his test results. And that is your new self. Yet many of us grew up with this idea if not the actual teaching, that the saints were people that we were supposed to aspire to, like St. Augustine, like St. Ignatius, like like St. Christopher. And, And there were those people, and then there was us, right? And even if you didn't go to, you know, hear that directly as a teaching, you felt that. You felt that, that there's the pastor, there's the elders, there's, there's these people, and then there's me. And there are categories, and I'll never be that. I'm not a saint. And that's a lie. What we need to hear, and indeed what Jesus tells us, is don't think that way. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds, he says in verse 23. Remember and put on who you really are. You are righteous and you are holy. Brothers and sisters, this this is what God sees when he looks at you. Even as some of us sit in shame and the comfort of our old habits and comforts, stand up and walk out to Jesus. He says to you, you are my righteous one. You are my holy one. You are my saint. That is you if you trusted Jesus. Isn't that wonderful news? And yet, there are a couple of you out there. I know what you're thinking. There's some of you who are thinking, I think, so people just get a free pass. What about the people who just get a free pass? They get the free A plus on on their on the report card. But they live the way they used to live. We experience this in our prison system. People who are let out of prison. They're forgiven. They're set free. And you see them, and they go back to their old way of life. They may even hurt people along the way. Old friends, old places of living, old habits, old comforts. Friends, those people have experienced a claim to freedom, but they haven't experienced real freedom. Unlike my friend George Roper, George Roper experienced a pardon. He experienced being pardoned, and he walked out of his prison, and because he breathed the free air as it really is, he is living his life serving the youth in our community, serving young people, telling them about Jesus, and warning them about the ways of death. See, friends, the people who call themselves, say, say, Christians, but they just, they don't see a change. Like, there's nothing there. They just claim it, and they move on. They, they haven't experienced real freedom. They haven't experienced real grace. If they knew that pardon, they would live for the one who freed them. So let's live for him today. Let's pray.
Father, we just ask you would help us cling to Jesus so we might think and and remember the, the dead ends, the emptiness, the hollowness of our old habits and our old comforts, all those things which produce death, so that we might not walk back to bondage, to prison. Help us in our thinking. Remember the emptiness of that old way of life. And yet, Father, also, please, when we do mess up, when we do sit in our sin and our shame, help us get back up. After we wallow, help us get back up and follow. Because we are your righteous ones, your holy ones, your saints. Help us remember who we truly are because of what you've done for us, Jesus. And so be free to actually be those things that you call us to be. We remember what your word says. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit set me free from the law of sin and death. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.